Hey, this morning, if you got your Bible, meet me in Acts chapter 22. Acts 22. I'm going to be sharing from two different passages of Scripture today. First of all, in Acts 22, and then we're going to move on over to Acts chapter 9. So if you want to kind of bookmark both of those passages of Scripture, Acts 22 and Acts 9. I want to bring you a message this morning called, What If? What If? You know, I think for each and every one of us, we've had moments in our life that we would look back and call them turning point moments. Places and times in our life where things changed. And when we had those turning point moments, the very next thing that happened, it was like our life had changed. Everything was different. Everything leading up to that changed. And I, I kind of thought about this for a minute, even in my own life, like what some of those turning point moments were. And I don't know what yours might be, but I think we might have a lot of them in common. I mean, let's be honest. My life totally changed the day that I met my wife. Maybe a lot of you have a similar story about your spouse. The day I met them, everything changed. The day that we got married, everything changed. The day that we gave, we had, not me, we, she gave birth to our first child. Man, everything changed. Life changed. And it was like this turning point moment in my life. Maybe you have a different kind of turning point. It was a relationship that you walked into. It was a job or career opportunity that you stepped into. That big sale, that big client that came your way. That friend that God sent into your life that changed everything that day. It was a turning point moment in your life. I think all of us have those kinds of moments. And here's what's interesting about it is I look back at some of the turning point moments in my life and I realize that in my biggest turning point moments, yes, God did something amazing in my life because let's just be honest for a minute. The biggest turning point moment I ever had in my life was the day that I got serious with Jesus. We look back at our salvation, the day that Jesus saved me. Man, what a turning point that was in my life. And I look back and recognize he did that. But the cool thing about it is that God actually brought people into my life after that day that helped me step into his purposes for my life. And when I think about that, it brings me to this question. What if that day had never happened? What if I hadn't yet met Jesus? Where would I be? Think about some of the other turning point moments in your life. Had that day, that moment, that time, that season never happened, where would you be? What if? What would life look like if those turning point moments hadn't happened? In Acts 22 and Acts 9, Paul kind of gives us his own testimony, and it's recorded in two different ways. One place, Paul's talking about it himself, and then the other place, Luke is from a distance telling the story. And we're going to look at both of these side by side today, but what I love about it is that before Paul just tells us about what God did for him, he later goes on and then tells us about the people that God surrounded him with and the the roles that they played in his life. And that's what I want to focus on this morning from these passages that we're going to be looking at. Because I got to think that the Apostle Paul had moments in his life where he looked back and said, what if? What if that day had never happened? Where would I be? What would my life look like had God not got my attention and then surrounded me with the people he wanted to bring into my life so that I could discover my purpose and his plan for my life? That's what we're going to talk about today. So go with me to Acts 22, and let's read starting in verse 6. It says, But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus, about noontime a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you don't know the story of the Apostle Paul, his given name, his birth name was Saul. And then later God changed it to Paul, and he kind of got this new identity. But look at verse 8. So I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, 
whom you were persecuting. More on that in a moment. Look at verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Now, let's push pause right there for a minute because, like I said, this is like Paul giving his testimony of what Jesus did for him in his life. His encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus was this turning point moment where nothing was the same after that. In fact, I would actually go a step further. If you know your Bible, you've been walking with God for a little bit. I would go a step further and say that this is even a turning point moment in Scripture. Because now we see the message of Jesus, people following Jesus, moving outside of the Jewish first century world that it lived in, and now non-Jewish or Gentile people are hearing the good news of Jesus. It started with Peter, but Paul's going to take it so much further. And so this is Paul's testimony, and it's a turning point moment in his life, and a turning point moment in the Christian church. But something I want to point out to you this morning, because... From here on out, we're going to see this interaction between Saul and this man named Ananias, because God brings someone into Saul's life to point him in the right direction. And before we read this, I just want to comment on a couple things if I can. I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of us as Christians make is we fall into the trap of living Lone Ranger Christianity, where we think, well, hey, this life is all about me and Jesus. We'll figure this thing out. I don't have time for other people. I don't have time for church. I don't have time to let other people, other believers speak into my life. It's inconvenient. It's sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. As long as I got Jesus and as long as I got this Bible, I'm gonna figure it all out. But guess what? If that's the attitude we have, we're gonna miss out on a lot of the blessing God wants to bring into our life through people. Let me say this. We say this at Connecting Point on the first Sunday of every month. God did not create you to do life alone. God did not create you to do faith and your Christianity alone. He wants to surround you with other godly people who can encourage you and speak into your life. And the Apostle Paul really had this opportunity at this turning point moment to stay in a lonely place if God doesn't surround him with other people who can help him find the path that God has for him. And so that's what we're about to read and that's what's about to unfold. So let's keep going here in verse 12. Look at what happens. It says in verse 12, Acts 22, a certain man named Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now, this is the picture of the encounter where Ananias comes. Paul recognizes this man named Ananias. He came to me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. If you know the rest of this account and the other story, the, the full story from Acts 9, after Paul has this Damascus Road encounter with Jesus, this bright light surrounds him. He hears the voice from heaven. But scripture tells us that something like scales came over Saul's eyes and he was unable to see. Now, we pause right here, but Ananias steps in and says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And quickly thereafter, Paul receives his sight, and he's able to see. But there's some other things that God wanted to do through this encounter. And I want to flip the script a little bit right here and go to the other version of this story where we see Ananias and his encounter with God that brought him to the meeting with Saul. You have to understand, if you don't know the story of the Apostle Paul very well, the Apostle Paul was a man who had a very big reputation, and within the Christian world, he had a very bad reputation, because Saul was somebody who went about persecuting first century Christians. Sometimes they were put to death, but more often than not, they were thrown into prison because he was given authority by the high priests to literally go and take people from their homes if they were following Jesus 
and be thrown in jail. So I want to move over real quick and talk about that side of the story and how Ananias gets to Paul. Because in this part that we've just read, Paul's telling the testimony of a man that God sent to me. But there's other side of the story where Ananias is sent to Saul. Now, to talk a little bit more about Saul's reputation, at the end of Acts chapter 7, we see the story of the first martyr in Scripture. Many of you will know who that is. It was a man named Stephen. He was stoned to death literally for following Jesus and becoming a follower of the way, as it was called. He's killed for following Jesus. And the scripture tells us at the end of Acts chapter 7 that there was a group of religious leaders who went to stone Stephen and they took off their robes and they laid them down at the feet of a young man named Saul. And in that passage, we see Saul endorsing the death of Christians, these people being put to death for following Jesus. Now watch this. Look at the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to just break to chapter 8 of Acts real quick. Look at verse 1. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Verse 2 says, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over his death. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, and they would put them in prison. So all of that right there gives you a picture of who Saul was, a persecutor of the early church, a man who made a reputation for himself that struck fear in the hearts of many early church Christians. Now, Let's keep going to where we're going to land today in Acts chapter 9. Go with me, Acts 9 and verse 10. This is the other side of the story in this divine encounter between Ananias and Saul. It says in verse 10 of Acts 9, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Push pause right there for just a moment because... When I read this passage of scripture, we see that God has something he wants to do for Paul or Saul, but he wants to do it through Ananias. So scripture tells us there in Acts 9 that Ananias has this vision and God calls his name and says, Ananias. And I love the way that the scripture lays out his response. What does he say very simply? Here I am, Lord. I'm here. I'm available. I'm listening. I think Ananias' response right here says a whole lot about his attitude toward the call of God or the plan of God for his life. And the reason why I want to point this out is because I think, if I'm honest, I'm not a whole lot different than you. When I think about God's call for my life, sometimes God asks me or calls me to do something that's a little bit inconvenient. God's about to ask Ananias to do something that's not just inconvenient, it's going to make him really uncomfortable. How many just love it when God asks you to do something uncomfortable and inconvenient? Most of us don't like that, right? But that's what's about to happen to Ananias. He has no idea what God's about to say, but when God calls his name, what does he say? Here I am, Lord. And this speaks of his attitude. See, I think a lot of us would say, you know, when we talk about the call of God or hearing from God or God giving us instructions, I think there's a lot of us here today that would say, well, geez, Zach, if I had a divine encounter where I had a vision from God and I heard an audible voice and he called my name, well, of course I would respond and say, here I am, Lord, I'm listening, I'm ready. I'll be honest with you, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But if we say, yeah, I would respond to God if I had that divine encounter, I think God might reply and say, you know what, you might hear from me a whole lot more if you had an attitude that was ready to listen and ready to act upon my instructions. And what we see is that God chooses Ananias because Ananias is available and he's ready to respond. 
So a couple questions I want to ask you this morning. If you're taking notes, here's the first what if I want to ask you today. Number one, what if Ananias hadn't had a receptive attitude to God's call? What if Ananias hadn't had a receptive attitude to God's call? There's a guy on the other side of God's call. His name is Saul. He's about to become Paul. He's going to be the most influential apostle to the early church Gentiles, and we read his name all throughout Scripture. We're going to see so much writings of his prison time, his ministry, his missionary journeys. They're going to come from Paul, but none of it's happened yet. It's all waiting on one man's response. And what if Ananias hadn't had a receptive attitude to God's call? Is it possible that Saul would have been waiting and waiting and waiting for someone to come along and give clear instructions on what was next? What, what, what would happen? Well, let's personalize it. What about this? What if I don't have a receptive attitude to the call of God for my life? Is it possible that there are people who are waiting for me to respond and be ready to, re- to act upon God's call for my life? What if I don't have a receptive attitude to God's call for my life? You know, as I was reading through this passage of scripture, I was reminded of a, a very specific story. My wife and I in the church that we met in, our, our former pastor had an amazing testimony of how he got saved. And he went through his 20s, and when he was, I think, in his mid to late 20s, he just reached a place in life where he had tried so many things. He was wrapped up in drugs and other things, and he kind of reached the end of his road. And one night, he was in a cabin in the mountains on the other side of the world, and he was praying, and he'd kind of hit rock bottom. And he said, I bowed on my knees, and I cried out, and I said, God, I've been taught about you from a distance when I was a kid. I've heard stories about Jesus. I've heard stories from the Bible. But today, I'm at my end. I've hit rock bottom, and I'm crying out to you saying, God, I don't know who you are. I've never had an encounter with you. I've never known you or met you. I've only heard stories from from a distance. But God, if you are real, I'm calling out to you, and I'm saying, Jesus, please prove yourself because I need you in the worst of ways. When I've heard him tell that story, there was something so sincere about the attitude that just opened up to God and said, God, I'm here. I'm available. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to find your purposes for my life. And the testimony he tells, and I've never met anybody else that has a testimony quite like his, is that when he opened his heart to God, he said, I'm sitting there in this room, and he, he tells the testimony of having, having a literal vision of Jesus. And he says, I'm sitting in this room, and it was like everything that had ever been told to me about God was so real, because I've never, I can't put into words to explain the love that I encountered when I was standing there in that moment in the acceptance of Christ. And he said, without anybody talking to me, I gave my life to Jesus right there all by myself. And his very next steps were to go and get plugged in and submit to authority. And he got plugged into a local church and began to serve. And then God elevated him. And then pretty soon he was serving in that church in an area of leadership. And then he became a pastor. And this man spent 25 to 30 years of his life getting to be a pastor at one of the most influential churches of the 20th and 21st century. And what's crazy about it is that man played an instrumental role in my life. And I look back and think to myself, What if he hadn't had an attitude that was receptive to the call of God for his life? I was on the other side of that decision. Can I tell you something this morning, church? If we will have a receptive attitude to the call of God in our life and choose to respond and say, here I am, Lord, there are people on the other side of that decision that God wants to use you to influence their lives. So here's the question. Will I have a receptive attitude to the call of God in my life? It's our choice. Because if we have a receptive attitude... God will call our names. We can respond and say, here I am, God. Take me where you want me to go. Amen? Let's keep going this morning because I want to read on and see the way that this encounter unfolds because now Ananias, who says, here I am, Lord, he's putting 
a bit of a precarious position with what, with what God is about to ask him to do. It says in verse 11, And the Lord said to Ananias, Get up and go to the street called Straight, this street there in Damascus, inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about that man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name. I love this, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the second what if question I want to give you today. Number two, what if Ananias had been fearful and not faithful? What if Ananias had been fearful and not faithful? See, God comes to him in this vision. He says, I want you to go to the street named Straight there in Damascus. And he probably knew where that place was. And he said, and there's a house there that belongs to a man named Judas. And inside that house is a man named Saul. And here's what I want you to do. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This all sounded good until you said the name Saul. Because I've heard about that man. He has quite the reputation. God, I don't know if you know this or not. Have you ever said that to God? God, I don't know if you know this or not, but... That guy has quite a reputation, and I'm putting a lot at risk, even maybe my own life, if I go and try to speak to this man because, well, you see, God, I'm a Christian. God's like, yeah, I know. That's why I chose you. And if I go, I don't know what's going to happen. And i got to think that in this moment where Ananias hears from God and gets these instructions on what to do next, that as soon as he hears the name Saul, fear just moves right into his heart. That name strikes fear into my heart, God. I'm not so sure but I'm willing to do that. And it's in that moment that Ananias has to make a decision. Am I going to give in to fearfulness or am I going to step up in faithfulness? And here's what I love about this. I just imagine in my mind that as soon as Ananias, he's, he's tuned in, he's listening to God, and then suddenly the name Saul comes up and he's like, Saul, God, you, you couldn't pick me to go and talk to anybody else? It has to be him. It has to be like the baddest dude, the guy whose reputation is for killing our kind, for putting them in jail. Don't you know God? The best prayer to pray, right? God, don't you know? God's like, yeah, I know. So I'm talking to you about it. Don't you know, God? That man's name strikes fear in my heart. But this is what I love. Verse 15 says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is chosen. He's a chosen instrument of mine. There's something that you don't see in this, Ananias. I've already been at work. He's a chosen instrument of mine to what bear my name And it goes on and says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I think what God is trying to do here with Ananias is he's trying to tell him, you know, the name Saul might strike a lot of fear into your heart, but at the name of God and the name of Jesus, it should strike courage into our heart to overcome the thing that we're afraid of. And I think he's trying to work on Ananias' heart and saying, I know you're a bit apprehensive. I know you're a little bit nervous and you might even be a little bit fearful, but let me help you lift your faith a little bit and strike some courage into your heart. And I want to ask you this morning, church family, what's the thing that when you think of, the name that you mention, the word that you say, and as soon as you say it, fear just comes into your heart. I believe one of the things that God wants to say to every person in the house today, that the name of Jesus, the thing you're afraid of, needs to bow down. Because God wants to strike courage into your heart over the thing that you're afraid of so that you can step forward in faithfulness and not be overcome by fearfulness. So let me ask it the personal way. What if I'm fearful 
and not faithful? What if I choose to move forward in fear rather than move forward in faith? And I'll give you a really good example of this because I love this story. This is one of the favorite, my favorite stories that I've encountered in my ministry time over the last few years. A few years back, my wife and I were leading a connect group meeting here at the church on Friday nights, and there was a new couple that came to our connect group, and they were walking up, and I introduced myself. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? My name's Zach, and he told me his name, introduced me to his family, and when they came that night, this guy was so outgoing. He had a lot to share with the group, a lot to say, and really just encouraging to everybody else in the group, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, wow, this guy's got, like, a lot in him, and it was so easy for me to identify that, and so we had a good time together at connect group that night, and then... A day or two went by, and he emails me, and he says, hey, can I get coffee with you this week? And I said, sure. We met, and we had coffee. We sat down, and I was like, man, we loved having you guys at the Connect group the other night. It was so good just to have you there with us. You added so much to the group, and I can see you adding a lot to our church. And as soon as I said those words, he got quiet, and this man just began to cry and just sob. And I'm like, what did I say, you know? And he looks at me, and he says, I did not want to come to Connect group on Friday night. He said, I was afraid to come. I was hesitant to come. Super apprehensive. He said, because I've experienced some church hurt. There's been things that I've experienced in church where I got hurt, my feelings got hurt, my family got hurt. He said, it's been difficult. And sadly, sometimes that stuff happens. It's the worst, but sadly, it sometimes happens. And he told that story, and we're sitting there talking about this, and he said, I told my wife over and over, I'm not going, I don't want to go, I don't want to open up my life, I don't want to put myself out there, I don't want to step out and make new friends, none of those things, I just don't want to go. He said, now deep in my heart, I knew that I needed friends, and deep in my heart, I knew that God wanted to put people in my life, but I was unwilling to do it. He said, so finally, I was afraid that my wife would like punish me later or something, so I just gave in and said, okay, fine, I'll go, just leave me alone, I'll go with you to connect her. They show up that night at Connect Group, he says, and this is something that a lot of you don't know about me, I was born in Northwest Arkansas. I grew up here in Southern California, but when they came to our group that night, I was wearing a t-shirt that said, Arkansas Razorbacks, go Hogs, 2-0. And he walks up to the front door of the church, and I was the first person he saw when he walked in. I didn't do anything but stand, stand there and say hi. And he walks up to me and he says, or he told me that night, he said, when I walked up, I didn't want to be there. He said, but one thing that you don't know is a few years back when God really got a hold of my heart and I started feeling as though he was calling me toward ministry, he said, that happened in a season of my life when I lived in Northwest Arkansas. And I said, wow. And he said, there was one person who was a mentor to me that spoke into my life and I still looked to as like a spiritual leader and his name was Zach. He said, before I could even walk through the door, it was like God pushed two buttons and said, you're supposed to be here tonight. Now, that still messes with me when I think about that story because I didn't do anything. He's the one that stepped out and went for it even though he didn't want to do it. What's crazy about it is the story kind of came full circle because over those next few years, God healed some stuff in their life, dealt with them, called them to some things, put a dream in their heart. And here's the crazy cool ending to the story is that today, right now, this day, they opened up a camp, a Christian camp that serves families and first responders in Northwest Arkansas. A dream that God had put in their heart many, many years earlier. Like I said, I had very little to do with that because he was just the one that stepped out in faith and said, I'm gonna go for it and God just happened to use me that night. But I look back and I think to myself, what if he had let fear take over and not stepped out in faith? Maybe God, maybe he wouldn't have reached that intersection in his walk with God where God said, here's what's next. 
Here's what to do next. Here are the people that God wants, that I want to surround you with. See, we have to choose not to allow fear to overtake us. We have to step out in faith and say, okay, God, if you're calling me to do it, I'm willing to go and I'm willing to make it happen. And let me just say this finally. I want to point to scripture on this. You know, there are certain Bible verses that we use a lot, sometimes maybe even overuse a little bit out of context. But one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is found in Jeremiah 29. And you know the verse in verse 11. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There's just one part in the middle that I think a lot of us struggle with. It says, my plans are to prosper you. They're not to harm you. When we think about the things that we're afraid of in life, sometimes even the things that God has called us to, if they bring us fear, we need to stop back and remind ourselves that we serve a good father who's not out to harm us. He loves us. He's with us every step of the way, and if he's called you into a precarious position, he's not out to harm you. He's just got something for you on the other side of it, and he's waiting for you to step out in faith and not let fear dominate your walk. God's not out to harm you. He loves you. He's for you. And he's going to walk through every season of life that he calls you to. Amen? All right, let's read on. Let's keep going. A couple other what-ifs before we close this morning. Verse 17. I love the story. So Ananias departed. Everybody say departed. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So right here, he's getting new instructions of what God wants him to do and what God has for his life. So here's the third big what if, if you're taking notes this morning. Number three, what if Ananias hadn't gone? What if Ananias hadn't gone? I mean, think about it for a minute. We talked about having an attitude that's receptive to receive from God. It's one thing to turn your heart and say, okay, God, speak to me because I want to follow you. And it's another thing to say, okay, I'm not afraid. I think I could do it. I'm going to work up the courage. But it's another thing to put your boots on and get to going. And when I look at this story, it reminds me of one specific passage in the Old Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, one of the things that you see is the father of faith, Abraham. Abram in Genesis 12 He's told by God, Abram, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your family behind, the fam- your extended family behind, all that you've ever known your whole life, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Go to a land that I will show you. Go, and then later I will show you. See, I think one of the things that we struggle with sometimes as Christians is when God asks us to go, but he hasn't done the showing just yet. We're willing to go if we know what God's about to do. We're willing to go if God will first show where we're going. But a lot of us are unwilling to go until God shows and we know what he's calling us to do. Ananias puts his boots on and gets to, or his sandals on, I should say, and gets to walk in toward this man Judas's house, not knowing what he's going to encounter, but he's made, his, he's made up his mind. I have an attitude that's receptive to the call of God. I'm going to overcome fear, and I'm going to speak the name of God over my fear, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do. So he starts marching to the house of Judas. And I love the way that the passage begins because it simply says, Ananias departed. Would you be willing to go if God has not yet shown you what's going to happen along the way? Would you be willing to go even if God has not allowed you to know what's going to happen when you get there? God doesn't always give us all of the the, the details about what's going to happen. Sometimes God just says, go, and later on, I will show. If you'll do the going, I'll do the showing. If you'll do the going, soon you'll have the knowing. But first, you got to go. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And Ananias steps out in faith knowing, hey, God's called me to do something. It might be strange. It might be uncomfortable. I don't know what's going to happen. But he's calling me to go. And what would have happened if Ananias hadn't gone? Would Paul have been waiting and waiting and waiting? Would people who, wanted to, who needed to hear the message from Paul later on, would they still be waiting to hear? We don't know, but we know that Ananias went and he responded to the call of God. And if I could just give you an example of this, a practical example of this. You know, our church was founded in 1984. And our founding pastors, pastors Roger and Evie Brewer, they're amazing people. And I'm so grateful for them because today this church is alive because of their faithfulness to God. When they came to Southern California, they were given an invitation to come. They thought, okay, maybe God's in this, and they left. They went obediently, and when they planted this church, they weren't trying to plant a church. They were just following God. There was an opportunity to lead a Bible study, and that thing just kept growing organically until pretty soon they realized, hey, it looks like we've got a church that's starting. And so they went ahead and formally announced that this was a church. And in 1984, New Covenant Fellowship was birthed. They came to California not knowing everything that God had in store for them. And that might sound like a small thing to you, but I'll tell you what, I'm standing here today, 38 years later, and I am in this room because they went. We are here today because they went. They trusted God. They didn't have all the details. They didn't have the knowing, and God had yet to do the showing, but they started to do the going, and God opened up the doors and said, this is what I have for you. And I'm so grateful that they did that because I am a result of their faithfulness. Many of us in this room that knew them personally, we are a result of their faithfulness. And here's the thing. There are people that God wants to bring into your life, and they are waiting on you to go. And there's something God wants to do on the other side of your going. And when you see it happen, you'll look back and say, wow, what an amazing thing God did. I didn't know that God had all that in store. I just knew he had asked me to go. But later on, he showed up and did an amazing thing in and through my life. So I'll personalize it. What if I don't go? What if I don't go to the place God is calling me to go? Now, in closing this morning, in the time that we have left, I want to take you back to Acts 22. Because if you're anything like me, I look at the people God brought into my life and I look back with fondness and it serves as a great testimony of the way they encouraged me, spoke into my life. In Acts 22, when Saul or, or Paul tells the rest of the story of his encounter with Ananias, he talks about what Ananias shared with him and how it pushed him and propelled him on into what God had for his life. Look at Acts 22 in the second half of verse 13. And at that very time, I looked up at Ananias and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know, listen to this, he's appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you, you Saul, will be a witness for him, for Jesus, to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on Jesus' name. And then finally, verse 21, and he, Jesus, said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And it's in this moment that Paul's giving the testimony of not only did Ananias come and help him to regain his sight, but God used that man who came to me and gave me my instructions of what my next steps were and God's plan for my life. What a beautiful testimony that is. And it leads me to ask the final what if this morning. What if Ananias hadn't shared? What if Ananias had showed up and said, Brother Saul, I've got to be honest, I'm a little afraid of you. I'm going to keep my distance. I've heard what you've done to other Christians. In the name of the Lord, receive your sight, and I'll see you later. 
Maybe Paul's eyes would have been open in that moment, but he might have looked around and said, well, that was great, I can see again, but what do I do? Where do I go? God, why did you bring me here? But that's not what happened at all. Instead, Ananias sticks around, helps Saul regain his sight, and then gives him instructions of what God had given him to share with Saul that day. Can I tell you something? The New Testament looks the way it does because Ananias was faithful to his call. He went and shared with Saul what God wanted him to do, and the world was flipped upside down as a result. So let's personalize that same question. What if I don't share what God has given me? Ananias shared. He went and just said, didn't just say, receive your sight. He said, no, no, no. Here's what God wants you to do. What if I don't share? I want to say it again. There are people that God wants to bring into your life to cross paths with you, and he wants you to encourage them and them to encourage you. And if we don't share these things with one another, we might find ourselves stuck in the season of life we're in right now, unable to move forward. I'll never forget closing story this morning. I'll never forget when I was about 26, yet to get married. I was sitting in church on a Sunday morning at my, my, my home church, my former church. My pastor in the middle of their message just stopped and looks at me and says, Zach Martin. And I said, yeah. In front of the whole church, stand up. Stands me up in front of the whole church and just begins to call out some things that have been just buried deep in my heart for a long time. Things that I felt God might be calling me to. Then they went a step further and said, Zach, you're a teacher. And I see this, this, and this, and God says, this is what he's calling you to do. And it was like in that moment, there were things that were in my heart that were affirmed, but then there were next steps given. And I knew I'm on the right path. I'm on the right journey. And I look back and I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful that there were people who were willing to share because it spurred me on and it encouraged me for what God had for my life. I think a lot of us don't hear those next instructions because we haven't opened ourselves up and made ourselves available to hear from somebody else. And perhaps there are people who haven't heard those instructions yet because we've been unwilling to share what God has given us for them. What if Ananias hadn't shared? What if we don't share? God wants to use us to help others take their next steps. And finally, you know, we have our Connect Group Expo today and this message isn't just about Connect Groups. It's one of the best places here at the Bridge Church to get in relationship with other people and find fellowship. I'll tell you this morning, sometimes we can be apprehensive about taking that first step and getting into relationship with new people, new friends. But if we'll be willing to do it, step out, have a heart that's receptive to the call of God, man, God will open the right doors. If we'll step out, find that he'll give us courage to take that step of faith and overcome fear. And he'll give us opportunity to share with others, receive from others and give to them as well. So finally, I charge you with these four things. Let's have hearts and attitudes that are receptive to the call of God. When God calls our name, let's say, here I am. I'm willing to do what you've asked me to do. Let's choose to be faithful and not fearful. Let's choose to call in the name of God and see him cast down fear in our life and speak courage into our hearts. Let's choose to go forward and not stay backwards where we currently are. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's a step of faith, let's not stay where we currently are. Let's step out and press into the things that God has for us. And one of those things is the relationships he wants to bring into our lives. And then finally, let's go and share what God has done for us. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And every person in the room this morning has something to give to somebody else and something that God wants to give to you through others. Amen.
Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for all of us who are here in the house today. God, our church family. God, there are also people who are new to this family in the house this morning. I'm so grateful for that, grateful that they're finding their place. But I pray in Jesus' name that you would help them to step out in faith, be receptive to your call, overcome any apprehension or fear, and be surrounded with the people that you want to bring into their life. God, I pray that as we take steps of faith, we might not yet have the knowing, and you might not yet have done the showing. I pray that we will be willing to do the going and find your plans for us. God, unite us, bring our hearts together, bring our lives together. Encourage us through relationships here in the family of God and allow us to go out and build those in the world that we live in, in Jesus' name. And finally, with heads bowed, just for one more moment, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like life's just kind of been going in the same direction and you've yet to have that turning point moment, if you will, by coming into a relationship with Jesus. Scripture tells us the one way we get to have a know a relationship with God is by saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the one that he sent to live a perfect life, go to a cross, die a death he didn't deserve, but we deserve for our sins. And through that sacrifice, wash away our sins. And if we would put our faith in that sacrifice, we could have a turning point moment in our lives where everything changes and we walk into everything he has for us. Coolest thing about it today, my friend, is that God didn't just send Jesus to die for you. Three days after he died, he raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you, would, you and I would not have to face it in eternity. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to leave you in, lead you in a prayer right now and help you discover that relationship. It's not about magic words. It's about the commitment in your heart and the confession of your mouth. So I want to ask everybody right now if you'd repeat these words after me. Let's just invite God into our lives this morning. Everybody in the house, say these words. Say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. I believe you are the son of God. So today, I choose to follow you. From this day forward, I will live for you all the days of my life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, we're going to be done with service here in just a couple of minutes, but this is an important moment. So just out of respect for everybody here, everybody hang tight till the end of service. If you made a decision to follow Christ, there's no better decision you could make in life, and we want to help you take your next steps. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams down here near the front of the platform. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Christ, and we want to give you a book called The Next Seven Days. This is simple reading to help you get started in your journey of faith. If you have anybody in the house that has a prayer request, you need someone to stand with you, agree with you, pray with you, that's why our prayer teams are here. Please take advantage of that. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus today and you need to go quickly at the end of service, we encourage you to stop by the next seven days desk. It's right outside, right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Our team will be there. They'll give you the same book. We just want to help you start walking with God because we believe that's the best decision you could ever make. And we want to welcome you this morning. Hey, can we put our hands together and welcome people into the family of God? Amen. Congratulations. Awesome. And can we thank Pastor Zach for that great message this morning? So good.
Well, this is the time in our service when we are going to worship God with our giving. And you'll see on the screens the different ways in which you can give. If you'd like to give in person, you can do that. You'll see envelopes on the chair backs and giving stations located on the sidewalls just before you exit the auditorium. But as we give this morning, I want to share some exciting things with you just to give you a little taste of some of the fruit of your giving. You know, last month we had our teacher celebration outreach event. We thought if there is any way we can bring the love of Jesus into our local public schools, we want to do that. And so we decided to... Uh, look at and identify three schools close to us, an elementary, a middle, and a high school with a total of over 200 teachers. And we went onto their campuses bringing breakfast for them on one of their in-service days, getting ready for the new school year. We brought breakfast. We brought boxes full of supplies to stock their classrooms because that has now been required of them out of their own pocket. So we thought we can help with that. And we brought gifts for every teacher. And so we took all of that and just shared with them why we were there just to bless them. And since then, over this past month, we have received so many thank you notes, cards in the mail, emails, a video from one of the schools with all of the teachers thanking us. The response has really been overwhelming, and we don't have time to read all of the cards to you this morning, but I just want to share a couple of the things that were written in some of the cards. I mean, there were countless just thank yous and and expressions of gratitude and appreciation for encouraging them as teachers and encouragement for the schools. And uh, they, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of our students here at the bridge wrote handwritten notes that we put in the boxes for the teachers. So many of them said, thank you so much for that. And they had pinned the notes up by their desk and they would be looking at that all year. In fact, after first service, I met someone who's a teacher at one of the schools and she said, that handwritten note meant so much and I have it pinned up by my desk. I thought that was so awesome. But one teacher said, in 28 years of teaching middle school, never have I experienced this degree of support. Another one said, in 23 years of teaching, I have never been so amazingly blessed. They said the supplies they receive will be so well used. And one teacher said, as a believer, it is evident that your church cares for our community. And they said, please thank the Bridge Church for their generosity. That's you. Your generosity has touched their hearts. And we believe that as their hearts have been touched, that doors will open further for greater opportunity that we can continue to bring the love of Jesus into those school campuses. So thank you so much for helping us impact our community. We're so grateful for your continual faithfulness in giving. God bless you. And as we go out today, we are going to head out to our Connect Group Expo, as Pastor Zach said. This 
uh, this year, this term, we're doing it a little bit differently. Our expo is located outdoors under the portico. You will see big orange flags that designate which types of groups we have, and you'll meet connect group leaders for those types of groups standing right by those flags. They'll have lanyards on with telling you the uh, type of group they are leading. So I want to encourage you, don't miss out on what God wants to do in you and through you in a connect group. Check them out, get plugged in, and have an amazing week.